Hey everybody, welcome back to The Collective. We have another fantastic show for you planned out today. We had Cal here, he disappeared just a second ago, but Sam is with us as well, this is fantastic. Um, now, while I am excited for the show, y'all should be too. Hit the uh, like button, hit the subscribe, subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell, do all that good stuff. We get your emails whenever we go live, which is of course every day for another week and change. And then we're gonna be switching it up a little bit. So I'm excited for that. Um, if there are any thoughts, questions, comments, anything at all, by all means, put them up in the comment section and we will engage them directly, kind of like this one, Lisa. Hello, everyone. Excited to hear today's podcast. Good to see you. John jumped in real quick. Morning, Team TC. Also looking forward to today's discussion. Vanessa's in. Good day, everybody. Look at that. Everyone's pumping in right at the beginning. I like it. Now, before we get too deep into the convo of social fears, let's get a quick intro. Sam, I guess it's up to you. As Cal disappeared, he was going to go first, but <laughs> let's uh, give you a are. shot. 10 to 15 seconds. Who are you? Where you come from? All that good stuff. And there's, there's Cal. Samantha Chris from Montreal. I'm a reinvention guide. I help organizations and people reinvent. Perfect. I like it. Cal, how about yourself? 10 to 15 seconds. Who are you? Where you come uh, from? All hi, folks. Cal DeSange. I'm a senior officer with the Vancouver Police Department and also the founder and CEO of Kids Play Youth Foundation. Bam. I like it. So... Today, we are talking social fears, and yesterday we kind of touched on it a little bit. We defined fear pretty well, and we kind of talked about some tools, but uh, I had brought up a, a, a statistic that I hadn't really done much research on, so I want to clarify that. And the thing I said was the most common fear in the world was uh, public speaking. After doing a little bit of research, I found out that that number, the uh, the most common, is debatable based on which website you go to and where you look it up. Uh, have not been able to find any actual documentation as to what the most common is, but uh, we're going to get into social fears anyway, because I think this is a, a large portion of the world deals with this completely. So social fears or social anxiety is characterized by a fear or anxiety of social situations in which the individual may be scrutinized by others. This fear can be triggered by perceived or actual scrutiny from others. Social anxiety can cause considerable distress and impair the ability to function in at least some aspects of daily life. And people with social anxiety feel, feel fearful or anxious in social situations and as such may avoid socializing, school, work, shopping, other places where interactions occur. Social anxiety is more than shyness and affects everyday activities, self-confidence, relationships, and work or school life. So with that being said, kind of a brief overview, when I say social fears, social anxiety, what are your guys' first thoughts? Cal, I'm going to put you up first. What do you think? Uh, you know what? The most important lesson perhaps I've learned in life, especially um, in the course of experience as an officer and just community engagement is you cannot care what other people think. You really can't. If your life, your entire life is navigated by other people's optics and perceptions of you, then that is your gauge of measurement of yourself. And you can't let that happen because in that, you do that, you're putting parameters around yourself and you will never, ever be able to achieve your true potential. So I got rid of that attitude a long time ago. Yeah, absolutely. Um, these sort of things used to bother me. And well, what are they saying? What are they thinking? Then I realized I wasn't getting anything accomplished because I was always trying to live up to their standards. So got rid of that ever since. Been happy. Absolutely. Sam, what are you thinking? You know, I've, I've got so many thoughts. It's hard because I don't 
suffer from social fear. Like I wouldn't immediately say this is something that I struggle with, but I look back in certain situations where I have felt uncomfortable and I just think I label it differently because the truth is I still have fear of judgment in certain areas. And I think at the end of the day, that's really what it comes down to. You know, Cal mentioned it, like you can't care what people think. And I would like to say in general, I don't, but there are certainly situations where I let those thoughts get the best of me. And in the work that I do and helping people kind of unlock this next level of who they want to become, bridge the gap from where they are to where they want to be, that fear of judgment is probably one of the biggest blockers I see. And it's unfortunate because it's in the workplace, it's in the home, it's with spouses, family members, partners, bosses, peers, um, and I don't know that we've we've fully cracked how to get over it. I think we've kind of learned to live with it. Um, so I'm super interested to get into the conversation because I could, I too can benefit from it. Absolutely. Sean, first thoughts? Well, my first thought is maybe, maybe Cal, maybe none of us suffer from social fears, who knows, with others. But I mean, there's probably a bit of social fear within us. Mm. I mean, I think that uh, I I evaluate my performance in or out of society. And so once I'm evaluating what I do, and, and I'm not going to call it a fear, let's, maybe it's another word, who knows. But uh, when I'm, when I feel like I'm not performing up to my standard or run, I'm not performing as I feel I should be. And I'm stepping out into society. It's not that I'm fearful of people knowing something that they can't know about because it's an internal evaluation. But as soon as I step out into society and I'm viewing it through the lens of now others, uh, and, and I'm not suggesting that I'm worried about them detecting my fears internally. Uh, what I'm stating is that if I'm out there doing me all by myself, not around people, there's nothing really to, I suppose, freak out about as maybe a word I'll use. No, don't freak out. Um, but I think that maybe societal fears or social fears can be amplified by being around people. And if we're not around people so much, then maybe those social fears are dialed down a little bit. So I'm contextualizing it against, are, is there a boatload of people around us who are really judgy? Or is there no one around us? And so there's not a true understanding of social fear. And, and I'm not pointing that at Cal, obviously, because I mean, like he's in the public eye all the time. So um, it's just a thought, just a thought. I, I like this, uh, this realm that we want to go down. I'm actually going to ask Cal this specifically in terms of being in the public eye, being on, uh, especially in the realm of police. There's a lot of judgment being placed upon not only what you do, but how you act, how you speak, how you, all these things that can be kind of applied to you. And I'm wondering right off the bat, what are some of the tools that you use to manage those situations? Yeah, you have to understand, like, a large part of me is dictated by the fact that I am of South Asian descent. And by that, what I'm saying is in the South Asian community, we have to be remarkably cognizant of a lot of the cultural sensitivities um, that characterize that community. Um, many of the major stigmatic issues such as uh, drug use, substance abuse, um, domestic violence, these things are brushed underneath the rug. Uh, granted, in the larger society or scheme of things, sure, it happens at that scale as well, but specifically within the South Asian community, having grown up in the South Asian community, seeing what I've seen, these important topics and issues, the 
community as a whole has taken an ostrich with the head in the sand approach. And when there's somebody such as myself that actually stands up and um, questions the status quo and challenges convention and says, well, hold on for a second, time out. This is what's making our community unhealthy. We need to really address these things because statistically speaking, there's a disproportionate representation of South Asian men, especially here in British Columbia, that are representative of the, uh, the drug and gang uh, community. A remarkably high number of South Asian youth have been killed in gang violence. And the question is why, compared to some of the other ethnic uh, communities, why is it happening so much in the South Asian community? And we need to address it. And so in that respect, when I initially did start standing up against it and being very vocal about it, sure, there was going to be a huge amount of pushback. And what happens then is exactly what we're discussing now, that social stigma. Do we take a step back and say, whoa, you know what, I don't need this. And uh, am I not just going to address it and be a bystander or am I going to challenge it? And I think it's important for the sake of helping others, educating the community, bringing about that awareness and saving lives that we do need to address it. So in that respect, uh, I just stopped caring what other people had to say and uh, did what I needed to do. I like that. Now, uh, to you, Sam, I'm wondering about this because you do a lot of public speaking. You, you're in front of corporations and things like that, talking to people. What are your, some of the tools you use? So I'll, I'll get into a tool, but I'm really interested Cal, if we can circle back on how you just flip the switch on not caring. So maybe we'll put a pin on that for later, you know, to come back to because Absolutely. that's something that I wish I could just do. I wish I could just turn that off and say like, you know what, I don't care about this anymore. And the tool that I found most effective to date is doing hard things in the moments where it doesn't matter or where I'm not kind of on stage or in the spotlight so that when I am, I've flexed that muscle and I've practiced being more comfortable in finding my voice in my delivery and who I am and how I present and show up, particularly through the realm of public speaking. And one of the things that I was looking to improve, I just felt that I was so stiff. I took myself too seriously. When I say stiff, I mean everything from like the muscles in my face to my body language to um, the way that I spoke. It was so polished. And if you catch me off stage. I'm a lot more relaxed. I'm a lot more chill and a lot more conversational. And so I was like, how do I bring that version of me to the stage? And it was through singing and through singing lessons that I thought, you know, I'm going to loosen my facial muscles. I'm going to practice not caring because this is something that scares the hell out of me. I want to put myself intentionally in an uncomfortable conversation so that when it counts, I've flexed these muscles. And so that was something kind of surprising. I didn't think that there would be a direct correlation, but that I found to be really helpful um, in, in just getting over that fear in those off moments, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Sean, got any thoughts on this? Yeah, back to Cal, because uh, what Cal maybe did was he maybe had social fears at one point, and then he made it so important enough that he grabbed it by the throat and shook it around a little bit and then got rid of it because through a process of a why that was important enough that uh, he engaged in that why and stuck around for long enough that he got a handle on that. And so I'm sure that didn't happen overnight. I'm sure it was a bit of a process. I'm sure it was uncomfortable at times, but you know, that's uh, that's kind of a bit of a journey that uh, Cal went through to not figure that out, but to get to the point where he is at right now. So 
that's a fairly robust practice, I would say, that he had to go through in order to get to where he is now. Uh, but, you know, there's still a playoff of that uh, where Cal has got to the point where he is right now. And so uh, as he steps out, <laughs> I know this is going to sound weird, but bear with me. When Cal steps out into society, maybe he's creating a little bit of fear out there. And here's why. Because he's confident. He's bold. He owns his words. He knows what needs to be done. He knows what, what needs to be said. And it's not that he's shaking things up intentionally to be a jerk. What he's doing is he's going out there and doing the thing that needs to be done. And it's kind of shaking the community up a little bit because again, and, and I understand a little bit about that demographic, the head in the sand moment, there's, there's gotta be a reckoning. I mean, when, when Cal comes by and stands next to the guy who's got his head in the sand, that's not going to last forever. And so there's going to be a little bit of uncomfortable moment there where all the people who uh, are trying to ignore the problem, it's hard to ignore when someone's standing in front of you saying, Hey, we're going to talk about this. And so there is going to be some societal fear at that moment on the other party's behalf, as it were. So I'm not saying that, you know, Cal's going out there making everyone scared. I'm just saying that there will be some friction or tension or discomfort or ill ease or however you want to term it, and maybe a little bit of fear that Cal's on his way and he's going to sort this out. And I know that sounds like a bit of a superhero moment, but that's kind of what's happening is Cal had to go through a journey to become what he's become so that this kind of thing doesn't bother him. Now he's out there doing the good thing and it's probably shaking things up a little bit, maybe even creating a little bit of societal fear on the other end. What are your thoughts? I think Cal is Batman. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> you, you kind of described it perfectly as Batman, but Cal, what are you thinking? The Bollywood version. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, you know what, too? But thank you, Sean. And um, I really appreciate you guys making those points. Um, two things I want to talk about. My real epiphany came from working in the downtown east side, and I'll tell you why. Some of the most realist people you will ever meet are the ones that are going through recovery. And they were so bluntly, blatantly honest and truthful. And they would say it like it is. I clearly remember bringing a lot of uh, preconceived notions and attitudes into the downtown east side because my life up to that point had always been black and white, coming from an academic background, being very insulated, growing up in um, a very white picket fence community. I'd never been exposed to the seedy underbelly of society until I got on the job. And yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll admit there was a lot of things I was tremendously naive on. Uh, but coming into the downtown east side, it was very black and white perspective, us versus them, the thin blue line and uh, organization versus chaos. It just I brought in these very compartmentalized uh, sense of reality. And when I came into the downtown east side and I began to know these people and to humanize them and begin to understand their stories, like it goes back to an old saying in Punjabi that not all five fingers of the hand are the same. Everybody comes from a unique set of circumstances. And these individuals that were going through recovery, once again, were blatantly honest. And it was so refreshing because what are we talking about today? We're talking about social fears. If there was a social fear, they would never have been able to address their personal demons because they will always be what are people going to say? The real journey began when they began to face it, confront it, and address it. And I thought, why can't I take that and apply it to myself? Why can't I just be as truthful and honest and blunt and as forward? What exactly am I fearing? And so I needed to get rid of that attitude. 
And that's, uh, Sean, you're bang on. It was a journey. Uh, it's a journey every single day. Every single day, I'm still learning. I need to continue learning. I think tremendously egotistical uh, in a self-inflated sense of self if we think that we know it all because we don't and we never will. And that's why that was a big thing for me watching these individuals. And secondly, within the community, South Asian community, um, I dealt with a lot of gangsters. Uh, and I'm sure you guys are aware of some of the high profile gangsters I was able to pull out. I'd have a lot of fingers pointed at me saying, why are you working with these people? Well, why not? I mean, do they not have uh, an equal chance to rehabilitate and salvage their lives? Uh, I'm not suggesting by any means that we're here to provide them that salvation. All we can do is extend that olive branch, but be your brother's keeper. Give them that path. Be there with them. Take them by the hand. Stand shoulder to shoulder so that they can actually have a moment to redeem themselves and become good human beings, which they have. And now that people see the final product and see these individuals back in society actually giving back in a significant way, now they're like, you know what? We're glad you did that. Well, so am I, right? Because the thing is, had I actually allowed that doubt to infiltrate my thoughts, I never would have been able to get it accomplished. So, uh, yeah, it was a journey, and I had to get rid of it. Yeah, absolutely. Sam, you got any thoughts on this? It brings me back. So, before getting into uh, the kind of field of work that I'm in now, my background is in correctional intervention. So I've actually worked with a lot of men and women who are fresh out of prison, and I, I've been exposed to and around that social fear a lot. Um, so one of the thoughts I have based on what you said, Cal, and I think is a really important piece is that we do have this social fear as society. You know, we're talking a little bit more on a personal level, but I think there are certain preconceived notions we have about our neighbors, our brothers and sisters that we inflict, that we project on the people that we engage with every day. And I've sat across the table from men and women who have made some really unfortunate decisions, um, some of whom were in, you know, that will be in prison for life because of their decisions. And I can still deeply appreciate the people that they are. Um, but that's only possible when we put those social fears aside or at least seek to understand them. And this is where I feel, you know, in the work that you're doing and helping them reintegrate and allowing people to, to see the benefit of that reintegration um, is so helpful. We have to first acknowledge those social fears. We have to first recognize that they are within us and understand kind of where they come from before we can work on conquering them. So just to say, I think that is something we carry in our day-to-day -day lives uh, with everybody that we engage with. And it really is only possible to bridge those gaps and build those connections when we understand where those biases come from. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, Sean, you got any thoughts on this mid sip? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't have the privilege of having the a similar background to Cal and Samantha, because I'm sure that would be a really, uh, rewarding and insightful, uh, path. Uh, so I, I don't have much to add there, but I, I think there is something that I wouldn't mind chatting about for a sec. That is, um, you know, maybe I don't have a bunch of social fears, uh, except the, when I'm doing it for the team. So like podcasting is an example of what we're doing right now. I mean, first of all, there's no way I wanted to do this, but here I am doing it. And once I have started doing it, I'm just trying to do it my best, but I always view it through the lens of, well, I'm doing my best, but am I doing best enough for the team or am I doing it well enough for the team? So I don't feel that there's a bunch of people out there evaluating my performance, but I'm evaluating my performance on behalf of the team. 
And so there, I don't, I wouldn't go so far as to call it a fear, but it is a, it is a thing that I, I feel better about calling it a thing, a social thing. Because uh, I, I, it's not like full fear. But do you guys feel that at all? Do you feel the, I'll call it the pressure of performing for the team individually like this on a societal basis and not, not feeling the burden or the heat, but just, it's a thing. Do you feel it at all? Cause I do. Let's go uh, back to Sam. What are you thinking? I think I felt that um, a good portion of my life. I'm the eldest of five and I think it started as a big sister pressure where I wanted to perform for the team, for the family. I wanted to blaze the trail. I wanted to be the one that set a positive example. I think that thinking followed me into my professional life and the way that I carried myself and the choices that I made. And I've definitely put that pressure on myself in almost everything, every undertaking since creatively, professionally, personally, you name it. But it drives me that social thing that <laughs> I am reluctant to say fear as well. Um, and I, and you know, if we're going to go deep with it, I think I, I have, there's a fear around fear that I've carried with me a long time because at least for me, and I'm not saying this is the case for you, Sean, but what I have struggled with and kind of bumped up against a few times in my reality is that I don't allow myself to feel fear. And um, I struggle with the thought of it because I feel that if I admit to feeling afraid, then it means I'm weak. And if I'm thinking that I'm weak, then I'm feeling like I am less capable. And so in order to stay capable and strong, I have to tell myself that it's not fear and to kind of push through. So that, that thing, whatever that is, has been my biggest fuel. But I also think that it's, you know, kept me stuck in my own way a few times too. Interesting, Cal. Thoughts on this? Yeah, I think those are remarkable points that Sam and uh, Sean have made so far. And that's exactly it. It's just you have to have your own personal standard as well. And uh, the example I'll use is with Kids Play Foundation. It's if I'm not performing, it's not like any of my um, teammates or colleagues are going to call me out on that. Just out of respect, they might not say anything. But then I should have some sense of self-respect for myself and my team and my colleagues that I need to be carrying my own weight. That's why I always make it a point that I want to be the first one through the door. Uh, in the case of our programs, for example, if we're doing a street cleanup day, I need to be at the front of the pack, picking up that garbage, cleaning the streets, showing these kids and these volunteers that I'm it with them in the in the dirt, in the mud, in the trenches, that I'm not expecting something of them that I wouldn't expect of myself. And I think in essence, that is true leadership. And I've always strongly believed that. Yeah. I, uh, I, I was having a conversation with my wife last night about something similar to this, but in terms of kind of the roles that we fall into based off of how we grow up and the people that we're surrounded by on a pretty regular basis. And I was saying that, you know, growing up, the, my my worth as a man was determined by how much work I could output, right? Mm -hmm. And this is a pretty common thing out on the ranches and out in the farms, that kind of realm is that if you're not able to work, you're not worth anything. So you have to, there was this always this drive that I have to be doing something, I have to be busy. And it wasn't until I actually questioned why. Why is that important? Where does that fall into? Where did that start? Et cetera, da, 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 da. And I, I'm wondering... For yourself, Sam, you kind of brought this up. You said you were 
a uh, you know the the oldest of five, and you kind of fell into that big sister role. Mm-hmm. I wonder how often we we just fall into these roles and then just carry on with them without actually really ever thinking about them, ever really diving into the concept of like, well, you know, and how many times have you heard this? Well, it's just who I am. But how often do we actually talk about it? <laughs> uh, Sean, I'm going to come to you with, uh, come to you first with this one. What do you think? Well, I think we're all in a role now. How much have you thought about today? Like, I mean, the role that you're in today, right, right now in front of a microphone, we're all in a role right now. Well, okay. I'll speak for myself. I'm in a freaking role. It's the role that I'm playing right now. I don't walk around my house pretending that I'm speaking into a microphone. This is me doing my microphone hour. And then once I'm done this, I'll do another bit on the IG. And then that'll be me done for the day. Then I'll create some content. Now I'm in a role. Role, role, role. A role that I didn't have like a couple of years ago. Still freaks me out. Is it fear? I don't know. I don't like to say fear because I like to smash fear right in the melon. Bam. But, uh, you know, at the, the role that, that I'm playing right now isn't inauthentic. I'm just doing me still, but it's my microphone me. It's not so different than my normal me, whatever normal is nowadays. And so the role that I'm playing right now wouldn't be so difficult for me if I didn't feel the weight of doing it for the team, of doing it for the collective, of doing it for people who are listening to this right now or who will listen to it later or will ask themselves perhaps the question, why doesn't Sean admit to social fear? He's got all kinds of it. Or maybe someone out there who's thinking, well, why can't he say the word fear as much as I say fear? Or maybe they're asking themselves, I've never thought of fear before, but Sean doesn't have fear or does he have fear? Like these things are things that go through my head. The words that I use, the tone that I use, how I use them, these These things are granular distinctions that I consider while I'm in this role of speaking to people, not at them, but to them and whatever they take away from it. If they take away the wrong message, that is possibly a fear of mine that they would misconstrue what I'm saying and it would lead them down a path that wouldn't be positive because I'm just out here trying to be helpful, trying to create betterment for my fellow man and woman. I'm just trying to do it right for the team. And if I botch it, then I feel that. And so perhaps that's a social fear that I have. And it's got nothing to do with whether I had a dog when I was a kid, whether I like horses, or whether I ever go to my favorite restaurant often enough. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got everything to do with the moment that I'm in right now and just trying to do it best for society. So maybe one of my societal fears is that I'm not doing it the way I want to or the way that I think that I'm doing it and that perhaps it could be misconstrued and that perhaps someone could go down uh, a path that is less positive. And then I'd feel like that's on me because what I was taught in the military uh, prior to tier one, uh, it was uh, on my Pathfinder course mostly, where I was taught patrol commander is always responsible. It doesn't matter what freaking goes wrong. It's on the patrol commander. It's on me. If I've got, it doesn't matter whether I've got three guys, 12 guys, doesn't matter how many guys I've got. If something goes wrong, it's my fault. It's on me. That was driven into me. And you know what? It's a pretty freaking good rule that if something goes wrong, it it is on you, the guy who's in control, the guy who's in charge, who's in command. If you can't see the problem showing up before it shows up, 
then you've got to be addressing it immediately. So it's not such a big problem. And if you don't do that, well, then it's on you. That's just what was taught to me. And I, and I do believe it to be uh, the case. Uh, and it's tried, it's how I've tried to run my life. So, you know, if I was going to boldly claim that I have a societal fear right now, it would be that I botch this on behalf of the team. And I don't uh, correctly calibrate someone out there in the positive fashion that I'm trying to. Interesting. Sam, thoughts on this? I'll take it in a little bit of a different direction um, because I feel like I'm actually in the midst of changing roles in real time. And what I've come to understand, you know, this is a real time reflection. So forgive me it's a bit, if it's a bit clunky, but the prior version of me, yes, is authentic. Yes, I appreciate. Yes, is flawed. But the reason I recognized that I needed to evolve was because I felt there was a misalignment with values and I was operating on an outdated value system. I've experienced more personally, professionally. I've learned a lot about myself. I've overcome certain adversities that has changed the way that I look about myself and how I bring myself into uh, you know, society, my family, my work. And I recognized that there was an opportunity to recalibrate my internal compass, which for me are my values. And I hadn't really taken a, a minute to reflect on what those are in some time. And I was showing up in a way that mattered to me, I would say five years ago um, in a prior role. And no wonder I felt disconnected and disassociated from myself for a little while. And I felt a little bit directionless and lost and succumbed more to social fears because I wasn't sure, you know, who I was, what mattered to me in this current iteration, in this form. And it was only in consciously taking some time aside and recognizing what is it that I do value now? What is it that is important to me and why that I was able to recalibrate, that I was able to say, okay, um, this is how I want to operate. This is how I want to show up. This is the role that I want to embody now. And so I do think that it's important to challenge the roles, the hats that we've worn, that we've been given, that we've taken over time and overlay that with um, your operating system and recognizing does this still serve current state and future state? And for me, it wasn't. And so with that clarity, I feel like I'm able to more fully embrace and embody the role that I want to step into moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point, Cal. Thoughts on this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'll take a little bit from Sam and a little bit from Sean. Um, both are extremely relevant in my personal life as well. Uh, very much like Sam, I think there was a point where you're constantly uh, reevaluating, reassessing what are your core values, what's, what's your point of reference that you're using for your own personal life. I think back in the day, the attitude was, it was never so much about not taking blame for your own personal actions, which I always have. But I think I was always sometimes quick to dismiss some of my own actions. Whereas over time, you learn that sense of extreme accountability that, you know what, you can't just always have that six degrees of separation and say, well, that was not my problem. So I'm not going to take any accountability for that. Sure you are. If it's part of a team, you had a role to play. And if you did your role perfectly, but somebody else in the team didn't, doesn't matter. You're still part of that process. And what could you have done to contribute to their success and help them and the team as a whole become stronger and better? And so from Sean's perspective, 
what he's saying as well is that it was the commander's responsibility. Uh, I take that as there is a equally disseminated sense of responsibility amongst every member of that team. And just because somebody's not pointing out a finger at you and holding you accountable, you've got to hold yourself accountable. And I've been my harshest critic always, as in what could I have done better? What can I do better next time? What are my personal set of values? Like Sam mentioned, am I following my truest path? Uh, what can I do to improve? And I think in that respect, like every morning I wake up, uh, I know it sounds um, <laughs> pretty giddy, but you almost wake up with a sense of enthusiasm. Okay, like what am I going to accomplish today? What are my goals? What are my objectives? What can I do better? And every single day you try to do a little bit better. As somebody had once mentioned, they said uh, Rome wasn't built in a day, but the Roman Empire didn't fall in a day either. It also fell brick by brick because people started getting negligent and complacent. And you have to see your own life the same way. Yeah, absolutely. Sean, coming back to you. Thoughts? Yeah, so um, last summer I was in Rome having the exact same thought. And, you know, the um, there's, to to say it out loud, you know, uh, Rome was built in a day um, is one thing. But then to stand in Rome and say it in your head and make the connection, it's a different thing. And I'm not suggesting that Cal needs to go to Rome to figure this out because he's already got it figured out because he figures it out every freaking day, like in his Rome, where he's at right now, where he's like either building an empire or keeping the empire together, where he's actively pursuing creating a larger thing than himself for the betterment of those within his empire, within his community. And so... It wasn't built in a day. It's been built in years and it continues to be built. And whether it's kids play or whether it's his day job of serving his community, he's building every day. And so, of course, he understands the statement. He doesn't have to stand in Rome. But I feel that there's a lot of people out there that aren't in the game that much that they can quickly rip off. Well, Rome wasn't built in a day, bro. And they don't understand the sentence. They don't understand the phrase. They don't live that life. And so, you know, I, just a quick comment, you know, if you're throwing out Rome wasn't built in a day, consider what you're building. Are you, are you actively building anything right now? Because if you're not, the sentence doesn't really mean too much other than a dusty reference to a bit of history that probably you don't understand. And so if you're kicking out Rome wasn't built in a day, you should be referring to it within your life truly. And what you're building is the uh, key aspect of that sentence. Yeah, this is, a, this is a pretty pretty common thing we, we talk about is that you know, don't just throw out pithy statements for the sake of throwing out a pithy statement. <laughs> and that is a, a pretty key thing. A lot of thought needs to go into it. And I uh, I got a, any other thoughts on this before I jump on? I got a question from the uh, from the crowd here, but any other thoughts before I jump into that? Very good. Okay. Uh, so Daniel jumped in here with a great question. I We may have kind of touched on it already, but I wanted to get some direct thought on it but he said what tip would you suggest for those who have the following internal anxiety and fear of external judgment that avoids them from being fully authentic and i think we touched on it a little bit but i'd like to get your guys' thoughts directly on this one so cal i'm gonna go to you first what do you think yeah fantastic question uh thank you so much for that dan what did we're discussing social fear today and, and what are we premising on that on? What, what is social fear? 
we're saying the social fear that we project on ourselves, our fear. Our fear is predicated on our personal sense of self and ego. And because of our personal ego that we might get our feelings hurt or somebody might pass judgment or somebody might be a harsh uh, critic of ourselves, we instill fear in ourselves and we're not able to accomplish that authentic self that he's referring to. It's, Sean had mentioned it before, when you figure out your why. Your why should be the overwhelming force which dictates all your actions. And when you figure out your why, it doesn't matter what anybody else has to say because your why is your sole objective and mission that you need to accomplish for a greater good, the collective. How can I benefit society? How are my actions benefited society? And then that way you discard your complete sense of self and ego for to accomplish and achieve that greater authentic self version of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Sam, thoughts on this? A lot of the same thoughts, honestly. Um, I think some of the, the, one of the biggest challenges and the people that I work with and speak with is that they cannot execute on being their fully authentic self because they have not done the thinking to know what that fully authentic self is. They've not done the thinking to figure out what their why is, what their purpose is, or if we bring it to a little, you know, a less philosophical level, but like, what is the vision for themselves? A lot of people don't have that vision. And I think once that initial soul searching or exercise is done, you start to see that these steps start to reveal themselves in how to get there, in what to change. And when we start to evaluate the key areas of focus in our life, whether that's our health, our relationship, our finances, our work, creative endeavors, when we know what that why is, what that vision is, it's a lot easier to spot the misalignments and we can double down on what's working. We can see what's not. And then we can get into solution mode. But until then, it just feels like a problem and, and one that's very difficult to solve. Um, and so I do think that it's a critical place to start, but it's not easy. You know, I, I think in these conversations, um, when we talk about personal development, when we talk about roles and identity and ego, why comes up a lot and not enough time is spent on understanding and getting to the core of what that why is. Because for the people who have it figured out, you know, we've been doing it for years and it's hard to kind of distill it into like do this one exercise or, or this one thought process to figure out what that why is. But it is an intentional commitment to getting closer to figuring out, peeling the layers of the onion back of what matters to you truly. What would you fight to defend? What morally outrages you? What brings you most joy? When do you feel most at ease? Pay attention to who's in the room, to the environments you're in the people who want to see you win, to the things that you're doing that feel that allow you to feel like you're making an impact. I think those things will get you closer to understanding what that why is and how you can act on it. Absolutely. Sean, thoughts on this one? Yeah, that was really good. A lot of things there that uh, people can sink their teeth into as to the why. And I, I usually just do it real simple. Grab a blank sheet of paper, sit down at your dinner table and a pen, scribble why at the top, underline it with a question mark, of course, because it's why. And so don't get up from the dinner table until you've got something written down. Like don't get up. Don't get up until there's an answer on that piece of paper. And it doesn't have to be the perfect answer. It just has to be an answer for now that you can think about tomorrow and the next day and refine. But get started on your why, whatever it is. You probably don't know because you probably haven't written anything down on a piece of paper for a long time. So once you find your why, then it's how and at what velocity. 
and the how can just be the next thing. It doesn't matter. You don't have to put down 12 bullet points on all the hows that you're going to do this why on. Just choose one, the next thing that's going to get you to the next milestone of your why. And on your way to that milestone, maybe you'll understand what the milestone is after that. But get one down, the how you're going to do your why. And the velocity is usually determined by not you, but by the people around you that you're going to do this for. Because if you haven't got to work on your why yet, it's probably because you haven't made it important enough for yourself. It's probably because you don't think it's a big deal. It's probably because it seems like a lot of hard work and you're not ready to do it yet. It probably seems like you'll do it tomorrow, but none of that's true. What is true is if you can't do it right now by yourself, look around as to who you're doing it for. Find a team, whether it's your family, your friends, the neighbor down the street, your digital team, the people around you that will make it important enough for you to pick up that pen and mark something on paper. Once you've got a why, then you're off to the races. The rest will start unfolding at whatever velocity you choose to unfold it at. 1 out of 10, 11 out of 10, sometimes 7 out of 10, 12 out of 10. <laughs> it's up to you to decide the velocity. But before velocity is applied, you've got to answer your why. And again, if you can't do it for yourself, then start looking for external external forces that you're going to do it for like your family as an example yeah i think this a lot of this stems also from ambiguity versus clarity and and i'm, I'm going to get your guys thoughts on this too because i, I want to hear uh where you're coming on this but the way i'm seeing it is like if you're afraid of something or you haven't figured out your why or you haven't done any of the these steps it's it's an ambiguous cloud right? It's I'm afraid of crowds, or I'm afraid of public speaking or whatever it is, right? Those fears are big. They're large. Well, what about public speaking? Are you afraid of what what piece of that? Can you break down in when you're talking about your why? Well, why are you here? For me, it took me a while to and it took some prodding by Sean to figure it out. But I'm a facilitator. I that all I want to do is facilitate information to people. And I, that that's every, every core thing that I've done in my life that I've wanted to do has been based on that. But it took me a while to break down, as you guys are saying, to break it all down to the core of it at the very base of who I am, what I'm afraid of, what I'm not, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But do you think that this is a, do you think it's an ambiguity versus clarity issue for a lot of people where they just, don't know where to start. They don't know what to do. And to your guys' points, the clarity that you guys have added, I think is excellent for a lot of people. But Cal, I'm going to come to you with this. What do you think? You know what? It's um, I'm actually going to use a quote here that I heard a little while ago um, that puts things in perspective for me. They said, no man ever steps into the same river twice, for it's not the same river, nor it's the same man. We're constantly changing, constantly growing, constantly learning. That's how you have to live your life by. And once again, you talk about ambiguity versus um, clarity. It's okay if your vision starts out ambiguous. It's going to be nebulous. It can be huge. You might not have a clear understanding of where you stand or what exactly you're trying to accomplish. But once again, 
you can't get to that point of clarity until you sometimes walk through that quagmire, uh, that confusion of trying to uh, getting to better know yourself and getting better to know your why, as Sean had mentioned, and, and having that clear objective. It's okay if you don't have it right away. Like, for example, he said, uh, Sean said, put down why at the top of the paper and then just write down whatever. Uh, it doesn't have to be a perfect answer. Well, what is the perfect answer? It could be very confusing. It could be out there. It could be very ambiguous. It's okay. At least you got it on paper. You have some understanding. You put some parameters around it. And now start polishing and refining and building on that over time. Nothing needs to be done overnight. It's okay. But eventually start working on that path and getting on that on that journey towards a better version of yourself so you can start making that difference. But if your entire life, you're not even going to pick up that paper and put down that wire, not write down because of social fear, then you're doing a disservice for yourself. Absolutely. Sam, thoughts on this? I almost feel like it's a self-perpetuating cycle when it comes to social fear and why. I think that we've, as a society, and rightfully so, but romanticized the importance of having a why, of knowing your purpose, and for the people who are feeling lost and who haven't taken the time or don't know where to start in figuring what that is out, it is all-consuming. And it, it is, you know, we, we hear often, we see the importance, and I think it just further feeds the social fear when that isn't clear. And yes, I think there's you know something to be said about ambiguity versus clarity, but I also think it's a priority thing. And going back to what Sean mentioned, I mean, you got to carve the time out to figure this stuff out. It's not just going to, or rarely anyway, just emerge when you least expect it. It's going to be kind of going through the mud and like climbing through the trees. And one of the things you said, Sean, that I think is so important is that it doesn't have to be right it is something that you can iterate, put it to the test, be delighted. If you think this is your why and you find out it isn't, then you're one step closer to figuring out what is. But I think the not knowing further feeds the social fear because we have been, it's kind of pushed down our throat and, and I'm in this world as well, you know, and I, and again, I see the value in it, but we hear about the importance of why all the time that if you don't know how to approach it, it just feels like you're sitting at the bottom of Everest and thinking, how the hell am I going to get to the top of this? How am I going to figure this out? I might as well not even try. And that's, I think, where you're doing yourself the biggest disservice. And it's better to try and fail and to try and it not be what you thought it was than to not try at all. Because then, like I said, you are one step closer. Yeah, absolutely. Sean, any thoughts on this? do so the term that is kicked out every once in a while in fact uh, we used it not too long ago and it's uh, the hero's journey and uh, you know a lot of folks uh, romanticize it as, as sam mentioned a key word there romanticize the the journey forward and so um the idea of the hero's journey is is really appealing on paper but when you put the, the, the pedal to the metal or you put your rubber boot to the road that you're about to go uh, journey on, well, it's a different thing because now it just became real. Now it became work. Now it became not maybe difficult, but it became inconvenient at the very least. And so the romanticized version of the hero's journey all of a sudden is, is wow, this is work. This is uncomfortable. This is not what I thought it was going to be. This is not the shiny, sexy little vehicle that I thought I was going to be driving down the journey path. 
Well, that's true. It is not going to be what you think it is. But what I've tried to do over the last little while is kick out some key words. And that not today, I mean, over the last few weeks, last few months. And that is step into the void. Because the void is the adventure. And when was the last time you thought of yourself as an adventurer? When was the last time you were so curious about something that you weren't sure what was around the corner? But the moment that you walked around the corner, you were surprised and thought, wow, I didn't expect that. When was the last time you did that? That's to the listeners right now. And so becoming an adventurer, becoming curious in life, having that pilgrim-like mindset where you're on your own pilgrimage, for lack of a better term, these are really, really, really good things. And they're under your control at the velocity that you want to walk it. But as an adventuring mind with an adventuring spirit, all of this stuff is a non-factor. You write down your why and you get one bullet point that's called how. What's my, how am I going to get to my why? What's my next step? Freaking congratulations. Now you're into the actual hero's journey. Now you're into like a rad adventure that won't be easy, but that's no big deal. It's called an adventure. You might skin your knee. You might lose your wallet. You might have to replace your glasses because you left them on a park bench. That's the adventure. That's the beauty of life. The different life every day rather than the groundhog day life every day. And so seek adventure. Be curious. Go on your own pilgrimage of your why and enjoy the journey. I think that fear holds a lot of people back from the unknown. But that needs to be flippity-flopped on its head and be spoken about as a freaking gift. It's the best gift that you can get. The best present under the tree is the gift that you understand that adventuring is what life is about rather than non-adventure. Yeah. There's a, uh, as you were talking, Sean, the, uh, the Hobbit popped into my head throughout this whole sequence because i mean the, if you read the book it's got this great opening sequence and the whole you know walking out of the shire and i think that's most people's concept of an adventure is you know walking through the grass fields and it's oh it's wonderful and there's like <laughs> there's frolicking and there's stories and people are chatting and it's great time sitting by the fire that's not there's, the adventure there's part, free right? cabbage right free, free cabbage, cabbage. <laughs> exactly and then uh the book does a really good job of this when it starts getting into like, you know, and then it starts raining and then they lose their horses and then they lost their gear. And now they're walking through the mountains with stuff on their back and then they get trapped by goblins and all the, all like, it's just bad thing after bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. But it leads to, uh, leads to revelations. It leads to questioning moments to time periods where you have to actually like really sit down with your thoughts and go, what am I doing? Why am I even here? This, this sucks. Like, I don't, I don't want to sit in the rain on the side of a mountain, that kind of thing. And I think in, uh, in everyday life, we forget how, uh, how those challenging moments are the pieces that actually give us the most later on, because you're never going to learn those things sitting in the Shire ever. Um, any, any thoughts on that Cal before we, carry on 
No, uh, Sam and um, Sean made some remarkable points. And so with respect to uh, Sean's point, um, if I had to um, capture that, the essence of what he had said, it's embraced suck. And Chance, uh, what you're saying as well, it's like going through that Shire. My Shire was the downtown east side. So uh, I saw a lot of things down there, which uh, absolutely, like Chance, you mentioned, made me sit back and question and do a lot of introspection. And Sam, what you were saying earlier on about uh, seeing Everest in front of you and wondering, like, how am I going to do this? Uh, you know what? If, if anything, I've personally learned in my in my life and in my experience was that uh, I've never asked for the mountain to be moved, but rather the strength to climb it. And that's the attitude I've always taken about something like that. I like it. Sam, thoughts? One of my favorite exercises when the how is not clear for me is the impact readiness matrix. So I, I try to realign by recognizing and centering in what is the impact that I want to have. And this could be on as big as a life level scale or a project level, relationship level. And what would it take for me to feel ready to make that impact? And over the years, different answers have come up. And time and time again, the first answer is never the answer. And so, you know, I, I do this with a lot of clients and friends as well. And readiness, you know, I'll, do, I'll feel ready when I lose the weight. I'll feel ready when I'm more financially secure. I'll feel ready when I have the promotion. I'll feel ready when I move. Okay, why? Why will that be the marker for readiness? And we, we start to go deeper here and we realize it's not when you lose the weight. It's not because you're overweight that you're feeling that you're not ready. You could get to the core of why that's an issue. There's perhaps self, you know, a lack of self-belief. There's a lack of self-love. And then when you get to the real core of why you're not feeling ready, the how becomes not easier because it's going to be difficult, but a little more clear in that, okay, this is what we need to work on. This is what you need to take action on to feel more ready so that you can make the impact you want to make. But if you're struggling and figuring out the how, that first best step, that one step you can take today, work through the first surface level answer that you get and what it would take for you to feel ready, ready, really get to the core of what's holding you back. And then you might realize, okay, I need to reach out to this person. I need to sign up for a gym. I need to, uh, you know, become more proficient in this certain skill. But then those little steps start to reveal themselves um, and you can map them directly to the impact that you want to make. Yeah, absolutely. Sean, coming back to you, what are you thinking? Well, if it's in an impact matrix, mine would have just maybe a couple of things on it. And certainly one of those things would be, I freaking don't like podcasting. <laughs> and so, uh, but then I've done nearly 800 this year. And so to your point, uh, I knew that I didn't like it. And so I got to work every freaking day to smash on that thing until I'm more comfortable, not comfortable, just more comfortable podcasting. And so the demonstration that I've, you know, deeds, not words throughout this year, I've been doing a social advertisement as to a dude who didn't want to do this, has sunk his teeth into it and has got after it and is now a little bit better at it and still isn't comfortable with it, but is more comfortable with it. I mean, if anyone's been paying attention to what I've been doing, that's what I've been doing. And partly a tiny bit for myself, but mostly for the team. And so that's my why. It's simple. I'm, I'm not doing this for Sean. I'm doing this for the team, period. 
And so that enables me to just keep freaking smashing on this problem that I don't want to smash on, but I will for the team. So that's my why. It's simple. It's not about me. It's about them. And so by making it about them, it doesn't matter what my goofy little internal voice is saying. It doesn't matter what what I had for dinner last night or what I'll do later today. None of those things really impact the broader why, the team. Because the team's always going to be there and there's always going to be a need for this kind of stuff. So it doesn't matter what minor inconveniences I've got in my life, like I don't want to do this. Well, none of those really matter when you scale it up to a really large team. So for me, it's pretty simple. You do the work consistently every freaking day on the large task that you know is in front of you, that you keep chipping away at as an adventuring, curious mindset. And eventually, the outcomes start showing up. The outcome being, I'm now more comfortable in front of a microphone. And I feel more, more suited to or more um, professional in the sense of I, I'm not letting down the team, which is what I used to think. Because again, as a patrol commander, I'll hold myself harshly accountable. I am the largest critic of Sean is Sean. And so that keeps me calibrated properly. My responsibility to a larger team, my self-criticism that, that makes sure or ensures that I'm staying on the right path for the greater why, which is the team. So your why should allow you to carve a future forward on behalf of that why, irrespective of whatever small, small complaints, small problems, small whining moments that you have going on in your head, all of those can be wiped away by always reflecting back on the why of the matter. And if the why is bigger than you, it's easy to ignore the why or the uh, you problems. That's what I believe. Yeah. I, as you were talking, it was coalescing in my head and that fear is battled by your why. So if you're afraid of something and you have a strong enough why, the, the fear won't stop you. The fear will be there, but it won't stop you from doing it. And I think that that's a, a crucial point. And uh, I just, we're just about out of time here. And I, I just want to say first off, thank you guys so much. <laughs> this has been awesome, uh, Cal and Sam, Sean, great conversation. We got a lot of really good information here. And I think uh, we've touched on a lot of points that are, are going to be helpful for a lot of people across the board. So just want to say thank you very much for that. Now, Let's get some final thoughts and then we can uh, shut it down for the afternoon. Sam, I'm going to start with you. Any final thoughts? Anything bubbling in the back of your head at all? What do you got? I think we're on the same wavelength. You know, it's, I hear what you're saying, Sean, and I, I wish that I could embody it as fully as you in that you're, when your why is strong enough, the rest doesn't matter. The reality for me is that it, it does matter. It's hard for me to fully keep those out of my line of sight. And so, you know, chance to think what you just mentioned and that it's not that the fears aren't there it's that your why is stronger that feels true for me and where i'm at right now is that i still battle those social fears i still battle my own um my own judgment my own fear of judgment of others and with that sense of why i just feel stronger to stand up to them and so i i, I want to reiterate that and as a final thought that's really where my head is outstanding awesome cal final thoughts yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, 
uh, much like it's been mentioned already by everybody else, is the why needs to be your guiding North Star. And uh, that has always been uh, the singular force uh, that has propelled me uh, to where I am today. Because when you figure out your why, and I encourage everybody else to do the same, is then that should become the sole guiding force in your life. Absolutely. Sean, final thoughts? Yeah, to Samantha's point, um, don't, I don't want anyone to get it twisted. I am not a Jedi. I do not have this all figured out. I do not have the purity of thought that, uh, you know, I don't struggle with these things from time to time. In fact, um, there's, I've said it out uh, publicly that throughout this process of the collective, there's probably a couple of times I almost quit it. I just had enough. Had enough. I was over it. But I stuck with it because of the freaking why. And so I came close, but I didn't pull the pin because of the why. And so I want everyone to understand that it's not this beautiful linear path or even exponential path that you just shoot to the moon and, and things are all rosy. Because they're not. It's an ebb and flow, the ebb and flow of life. Sometimes you go around a corner and the corner surprises you. Sometimes you go around the corner and it's magnificent. That is life, the ebbs and flows of life. And so it's, I feel it's my job anyway to face all of these ups and downs uh, through the shield of the why or through the lens of the why or through the hammer of the why to smash on whatever comes around that corner that is the ebb and flow of the moment. And so it's no smooth journey for me, for sure. But the why that I hold as my sort of, as, as Cal said, that North Star that calibrates me, that why allows me to ebb and flow through the ebb and flow of the path. So uh, as long as your why is strong enough and you keep it close to your heart, then most things can be uh, overcome. That's for sure. Yeah, this is a... Uh... This, this is a, a great topic. And again, thank you guys for the convo. It has been awesome. The, I, I don't have a ton of two points to add to this. And I just, I always want to reiterate the fact that if it is unknown, that means it, it is equally, it has the possibility of being equally as good as it is bad. And even though good and bad are just titles and who knows what it actually is and how it'll turn out in the end, if it is a positive or a negative experience, it is both possible both sides of those are possible so <laughs> the fact that it is unknown gives you a coin flip really and to be afraid of just the negative side of it completely eliminates all the positivity that could come from the unknown as well so something to keep in mind but uh, as we all you know learn about our fears we can build upon our own resilience within that fear and grow into the person that we're meant to be you can do that with us here on the collective every day talk to y'all tomorrow Cheers.